Well, hello. Welcome to the Starlight Car. We're so glad you chose to ride with us again, and I hope your stay in the Starlight Parlor is just as relaxing as your last. I'm your host, Scott B., and joining me in the parlor tonight is my good friend and fellow collaborator aboard the video game Choo Choo, Solon. And we're going to sit down and talk with Max Krieger, the developer behind his new game, Crossneak Plus. Oh, and of course, our musical accompaniment is a super chill remix of Aquamarine by Magic Circuit, available off their self-titled album, Magic Circuit. You can follow them at Magic Circuit on Twitter for more information. Kick back, relax, and grab a drink. I'll catch you after the music. Hello, I'm Scott. I'm here with Solid this time. Hello, welcome to the Starlight Car. The Starlight Car, that's what we're calling it. And today joining us is Max Krieger, who is developing, developed, is uh, on the way of releasing Crossnick Plus. Yeah, that's accurate, yeah. <laughs> Max, I have one important question I need to get off my chest. Very first thing, yes. I need to know, are the loading screens fake? Yes and no. <laughs> Um, wait, a, wait, what? <laughs> there's a certain amount of fakery um, involved in all loading screens in video games, just because it's really hard to approximate it. Um, of course. With, with Unity, um, which I use to develop CrossSneak Plus, uh, there's an async load function that's built in, and um, you call that, and you wait for it to be done, and that's pretty much all the oversight you get over it. You can like set things up and like load things into memory beforehand to make it load a little faster, a little slower, or whatever, hmm. but you're really at the mercy of that. And so, one of the versions of the game loads faster than the other, and I kneecapped <laughs> it to load at the same rate as the other version of the game, and I'm not going to tell you which version loads faster and which version loads slower. That's a secret. <laughs> I think I can guess, but we'll, yeah. I'll, I'll leave it a mystery. That's beautiful. Don't, 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 tell, don't tell Miyamoto, he's going to kill me. <laughs> Oh god. Yeah. I, I was very curious about that because um me and me and Solon have both been playing it's it's cross Neek. I've been saying cross Nick. Yeah, it's uh cross Nick. Uh, the official story is that it's a portmanteau of cross and technique. So it's oh, got the Neek from technique. That's inter okay, that's cool. That makes a lot of sense. Now I know how to pronounce it right. Uh but yeah, both me and Solon have been playing Cross Neek Plus. Uh like I I have a very beefy rig, but just just full of all the all of the every single juice that you need for computer power. You got that and ray tracing going on cross sneak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can see the reflections on every surface. Um, and like I, I just noticed, like, hey, these loading screens are very clean. They uh, they tend to take quite a bit though, so I wonder what's up with that. And that's what that's what like kind of clued me in on that. Platform parody is a beautiful thing, and it makes people not get mad at you. <laughs> I, I think it actually works a lot for the aesthetic too, because there's this there's this cleanness to Crossneak where um, like everything feels very polished in a certain way, and seeing just the loading bar go all the way from like the end to the beginning of the screen, like and then it perfectly ends loading is like that. Oh, that that feels like so on par with the presentation of the rest of the game. Well, thank you. I think. <laughs> no, I think that was a perfect first question because it's smooth. That, 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 was, that is your introduction to Crossneak yes. anyways, is literally a loading screen. And you, when you load it up, it's like, ah, 
I am in the 2000s. <laughs> there it is. I should have should have added some uh, Dreamcast uh, disk drive grinding noises and oh. suddenly mixed them into the background. Mm, that would have been perfect, <laughs> honestly. So here we are. We've loaded up. We've loaded Cross Sneak. What are you thinking about, Scott? This is uh, this is our show. We tend to get to the heart of things in a, in a bit of a weird way. Um, I wanted to know. Uh, I was very curious because this sort of seemed to come out of nowhere for me. I was like trying to do a lot of looking into uh, Crossneak and um, and like who you were, what your previous work was. I want to know like what you were into before you started working on this game. Sure. Um, well, my last uh, formal game project as somebody who wasn't a student, as somebody who had graduated, was this very long in development, kind of experimental, uh, kind of narrative game, sort okay. of like a visual novel plus. Uh, and I think nobody played it, and it took me about three years to make. Um, because it started as a student game and it got derailed a bunch and then I got a full-time job. And after that, I was like, okay, this did not work out very well. So the next game I'm going to make is going to be the exact opposite of this game, <laughs> um, where there was once a focus on narrative and, I don't know, multiple sets of mechanics to help um, create a parallel between gameplay and the narrative. There would be one set of mechanics that would anchor everything. And that was the idea that turned into Crossneak. And that's vanilla Crossneak. That's the original version of Crossneak, which for listeners, if you don't know, um, Crossneak Plus is an enhanced version of the original Crossneak, which is a browser game on itch. And that's free forever, even when Crossneak Plus comes out. I went and played a little bit of it. It's startling how similar that game is to Crossneak Plus. Yeah, really. It's like guys, nothing, <laughs> it's nothing like, changed whatsoever. It's <laughs> it's almost like the same game or something. Yeah, but um, yeah. So it really was born out of a desire to just like. Well, also, I wanted a vacation from writing a narrative game after that because I put a whole bunch of time into it, and I was like, oh, fuck this! I don't want. I don't want to be bothered. Uh, so, so you dove you dove straight into heavy mathematics arrays after a narrative, a visual novel type game design experience. That's exactly right. Uh, I can definitely see some of that visual novel influence in the game, though, because oh, thank you, you. I like I like that you can just sit down and talk to uh, like the shopkeeper and the museum curator. Like they have like pretty pretty lengthy dialogue trees that you can go down for a while, and I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's just nice and interesting. And um, I also like that a lot of the versus characters have their own little like unique quips between each other. It all definitely feels like it came from a place of like understanding visual novels or understanding narrative through that kind of lens and that that's what i took away from that at least and it's good to know it's good to know that was part of the background yeah a lot of the narrative content in the game uh was all kind of laid out in a skeleton while we were running the kickstarter for cross sneak plus and one of the big lengthy stretch goals was a story mode Mm. Uh, and so lengthy that I didn't think we were going to hit it. And then surprise, we didn't hit it. But we had all of this skeleton, um, even like the first chapter of the story mode laid out. All the oh, wow. character relationships were kind of worked out. And so I just felt really bad letting that all go to waste. Mm. And that's why I chose to, you know, do the things like the post-battle dialogue and the shopkeeps and things like that. Um, I just, it was so nice. I didn't want to throw it out. If things go pretty well for Crossney Plus, like do you- think you might go back and try to implement a little bit more of a story mode there are enough mechanics and features and modes that were cut from cross plus <laughs> to where i think i personally as a creator 
could do one more game in the series and then be satisfied with moving on from it forever. Right. Um, and a what, plus yeah, plus. Yeah, cross me plus <laughs> plus or something like that. I need to look at like the the Konami like Beat Mania or DDR naming <laughs> scheme and come up with something absurd like. I think it was like Beatmania Cannonballers or Beatmania Spot. I need to come up with some nonsense subtitle for the, the next one. But if I do get around to it, yeah, story mode will definitely be a priority. AI and versus mode. There was even going to be a grand master mode to satisfy Ooh. all the hard game puzzle <laughs> fans. Um, and so, yeah, there's enough content for one more cross Nick game that I would be really passionate about working on. cross Dick Plus totally crossed up. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Rainbow Edition. Yeah. Speaking of like other modes that you maybe would want to see in the game, I know this is something I want to see, but like, was was a an online multiplayer ever on the table? Online multiplayer scared me. It's scary, <laughs> and so I had it as a stretch goal that I knew would not get hit. I was like, "You want multiplayer? You pay me so that I have the room to royally fuck up at least once and overhaul the entire like the game code." Because I knew that was probably a possibility. I haven't made a game with online multiplayer before, right? Uh, so I would I would love to do it, um, but ideally with somebody else who knows a little bit more of what they're doing helping me simply for a risk management strategy because like i know i know that's something uh both me and solid were interested in just like playing it alongside each other like seeing this versus oh, yeah, i want to kick scott's ass yeah i want to fucking wipe the floor with him ironically i've been told by people who played the beta uh that the pc mac and linux versions work great with um, several of the clients that people use for uh, fighting games on PC. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so playing like old, like, I think, uh, Parsec. Parsec is one of them. So Parsec apparently plays really nicely with CrossNeak Plus, and so there is kind of a guerrilla de facto online <laughs> multiplayer for the PC version, so you can try your hand at it. That's cool. I'll, I'll look into that. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if we can make that happen sometime. <laughs> Scott dreams are going to come true and I'm going to whip the floor with you. Well, that would be really great, though, because there's so much in the multiplayer that the just the versus mode itself is really dense with yeah. cool stuff that uh, just doesn't show up in any of the other modes. I mean, all of there's four modes in this game and all of them have so much unique flavor to each of them. Mm -hmm. And if you just play the endless mode, you actually miss out on <laughs> a lot of like the museum, the shop, the uh versus mode has just like you pick two characters you pick a bunch of abilities you there's so many things spread out in this game that make it uh, kind of magical to just peruse <laughs> through yeah i'd say about half of development time went to versus mode uh just because of the number wow. of systems i had to put in uh yeah it was a significant effort and i knew that a lot of people would be you know just missing out on it and playing endless but there's i think a certain magic about finding an old puzzle game, for instance, like Puzzle Fighter or like Money Idol Exchanger, all these right. obscure puzzle games that people would sit down and go, wait, I can play against a friend in this? And then it suddenly <laughs> becomes this like couch co-op hype experience when you're all discovering this for the first time. So my hope is that people who buy the game discover that with a friend and get really into it. That's kind of an experience I want to recreate. Do you have a lot of history with puzzle games? Like, what were some of your favorites growing up? Oh, I, um... I played a ton growing up. I always loved Puzzle Bobble before I knew what Puzzle Bobble was. I was like, what the hell is this game with the balls and the cannon with the little dinosaur? And so I found a Flash version, and I played that a lot growing up. Um, one of my first Game Boy Advance games was a remake of Columns from the Genesis. Uh, oh, called, wow, yeah. Called yeah. Columns Crown. 
And that actually had a very similar battle mode to Cross Sneak Plus, uh, where you could have gems with special powers that would activate, and I thought that was the coolest shit in the world. <laughs> and um, to this day, other than Cross Sneak Plus, Column's Crown is the only puzzle game I've played with that kind of mode where you actually get to pick the items going into battle, so I kind of slightly sort of lifted that feature from <laughs> Column's Crown, don't tell anybody. Uh, but And the the ultimate kind of formative experience to making Cross Sneak Plus for me was in college, I think I played Tetris the Grandmaster 2 every oh, wow. day for an entire semester. Wow. And I'm still garbage at the game. I'm <laughs> trash in the dumpster. You can't play that full Grandmaster mode when it goes, when all the pieces go completely invisible. I've gotten to the S levels once. Jeez. That is a lifelong climb. Wow. wow. That, I, I know what that climb is. That's amazing in and of itself. Uh, I, I know I personally played a, a ton of Meteos. Which is probably oh yes oh hell yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah it's probably like the biggest um, mechanical parallel I can think of to Cross Sneak mm-hmm. and it it kind of makes me a little sad that Cross Sneak wouldn't come out on the 3DS ever because that kind of like kinesthetic that kind of game feel of Medios where you can just grab something with a stylus and move it was so core to the way that game felt and like not having that for something like cross sneak which is so similar is a little it's a little bit like saddening in a what could have been kind of way yeah i suppose but on this on the switch version uh if you have one of those nice fancy styluses from like mario maker and crank it up to 16 by 16 i've been <laughs> hearing some medios comparisons from people who played it so, uh by all means oh that's true that's cool to know i know that you were you're using the uh not the keyboard but the uh controller to play cross nick i've been using the mouse right and i that is exactly the vibes that i get from cross sneak is I, i'll just swing the mouse around and it'll clear a whole uh column and line of things and i'm just like boop all right next one let's go and <laughs> it feels that same way I, I haven't gotten to play multiplayer yet because uh growing up that's what i was doing was uh because Meteos, I think, was one of the only games that you could do on the DS where you just needed one cart. Oh, the download play. You yeah. could do download play. And so I'd bring my DS all empty to my friend's house. And you have Meteos and we would just play against each other for hours. I've gotten a lot of comparisons to, to Meteos, not just from the gameplay, but the, the menus. People have compared Cross Sneak Plus menus to like hal laboratory games over and over again which is praise i do not deserve it's like totally rings <laughs> above me but uh yeah that was kind of i mean that was a working influence but i think it kind of became more and more like that over time but i'm glad that it's kind of scratching that itch for people especially because on switch there's like a couple puzzle games like that but there's not a ton what is there on switch right now there's um there's like the cross um that's about it. All I can think of for puzzle games on Switch right now. Yeah, and there's stuff like uh, Nicalis released Crystal Crisis, which is their puzzle fighter mm. clone sort of game. And um, I think there are a couple others out on Switch. But yeah, it's surprising for a Nintendo platform. Yeah, just Poyo, Poyo Tetris. And oh, yeah, of course. Cross, of course. Uh, Cross Deep, yeah. There's huh. <laughs> the, the big two. <laughs> yeah, fun fact. The reason I settled on $8 is because Puyo Champions is $10, and I got shook. I'm like, I cannot outprice Puyo. I will make everybody angry. I can't do that. I think it's a a worthwhile call. I I don't know. I can't can't find myself ever buying Puyo Champions. I just, I already have Puyo Puyo Tetris. 
I think I'm good. Yeah, and Puyo Champions is really, I think, for people who didn't get Puyo Tetris and really just want that core Puyo experience. So you already have it. Yeah, exactly. I I have what works for me, and that is just playing the main Tetris game they have right on the main main menu before you hit the main menu. That's just, I'll mm-hmm. sit down and play a round of Tetris for like 10 minutes or something. Oh, duh, and Tetris 99 as well. I don't, mm, I... I know that's a puzzle game, but I find it so hard to think of it as one. You know what I mean? Why's that? Because uh, it, for me, it scratches the same kind of itch like PUBG scratched. Oh. I, I'm thinking about it more in the meta sense of, okay, this guy is over here. He's doing this thing. I need to make sure I can take care of him there. Or like, uh, I'm thinking more about it in the sense of, everything is happening around me and not necessarily getting into a zen meditative zone with a with a puzzle game (laughs) yeah getting into the zone is something that you can just kind of do when you're playing on your own but when you have a bajillion other players to worry about it's not the same let's see yeah and i i think i'm a fairly good tetris player so i managed to win once i think no maybe like twice i don't remember but i got my fill of that game I don't need to go back and get some extra wallpapers. You're right, though, that, that these are uh, puzzle games are normally very meditative experiences. Uh, yeah. And could be multiplayer. But even still, they they hit that same thing where it's like, OK, now you're doing some multiplayer meditative kind of game experience. And Crossneak really scratches that itch. It's really kind of cool that you're that this is coming out now while the puzzle game genre is in uh, something of a Poyo renaissance of all things. <laughs> Not only is there the Poyo games that are coming out, but Poyo also just hit the uh, SNES bundle group that's in that's the... That's right. Oh, yeah. right. It's in the online Nintendo grouping thing. I don't remember what it's called, but like Poyo 2, the Japanese version is in that. Yeah. And so everyone has Poyo that they have access to, even if they don't know it, because it's kind of like hidden in the corner. Like, hey, by the way, <laughs> right. secret Poyo, if you're, if you're a real gamer down here. We, yeah. we know you're here to play Super Mario World. We don't care. <laughs> no, you're here to play, um, what was it? Uh, Earth Defense Force or... Oh, God. Super Soccer or whatever. And Breath of Fire. And, Breath of yeah. Fire. There's there's all of this because of the switch being as big as it is right now. There, there's a lot of opportunity for that kind of meditative puzzle play experience. Right. And so it's kind of an interesting point in history where you can actually have this happen and, and be a cool thing that people are excited about. Right. I I, I enjoy Crossing and uh, it really fits that it fits that meditative niche for me, especially because I just very much enjoy sliding something into place and then a sound goes off that affirms I did a good job. But yeah, it's just a very simple, like audiovisual, almost tactile game loop that's right. You can just get lost in. What do you think were some of your favorite meditative games, just just in general, puzzle games or otherwise? Because I know I know I have some that are outside that spectrum. Yeah, do you have study games to chill and relax to? <laughs> lo-fi, right, lo-fi. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I played Tetris: The Grandmaster every day for a semester, and see, even though it's intense, the at dare I say Tetris effect wink um, <laughs> was really powerful and just allowed me to zone out and clear my mind when I was doing things like that. And I'm going to indict myself heavily here. Um, Minecraft. Everyone played Minecraft for that at some point. Sure. Fair. Yeah. Stuff like that where it's really in Minecraft is ironically really similar because it's just systems upon systems upon systems upon systems right. where you have one loop that leads to another loop that needs to another loop. So it's this cascade 
of small, teeny tiny goals and game loops that are really satisfying uh, to go through the motions of. And so I guess it's really not all that different when you compare the two. <laughs> They're pretty much the same game, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tetris, <laughs> Tetris is Minecraft. It's got blocks. Like, shut up. And Hatsune Miku <laughs> developed both of those. Yeah, so. I can't believe Hatsune Miku, while in the USSR, created Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I played a ton of Minecraft back in the day. Like, you know, get a good ser- like get a server with some friends together, mm-hmm. build a nice community. Uh, just a small group having fun together. Together. like never online at the same time but you can you can log on and see what they've built that kind of stuff is really enjoyable one time i built a castle in the side of a mountain and then i had the, um i had one wall that was just like a huge window that just like looked out across a bunch of just a bunch of just landscape and then some guy i don't know who it was someone decided to put to build a giant awesome face emoji in front of it oh my god it was a different time but still yeah, that's of an era <laughs> but still i did walk up and burn that down <laughs> <laughs> well done uh did you uh did you play tetris effect uh, i have not actually i've been too busy working on my own game to play much of anything my backlog Fair. is getting towards tower of babel levels and one day it's gonna fall on me <laughs> And it will seal me in my tomb, and I'll have gotten what I deserve. But, uh, no, I, I have not played it yet. I, I want to play it. My friend has a PSVR headset. Doesn't that have PSVR support? You can play does, Crazy yeah. VR Tetris. I want to really try that out. I um I played the demo that's out. That you know, I think you can still just go grab that. It's the first two stages, and I didn't really have a positive experience with it. Really? Why not? Ah, it's just like turning off the color coding and like making the like background effects sort of a bit more foreground and mm. trying to trying to get you and trying to like impress you with the way it's uh. setting a mo setting a mood felt very contrary to what I usually go to Tetris for and I just didn't like the game for that. That makes sense because it was really kind of about um Tetris's art, I guess. Yeah. versus Tetris's um Tetris <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Tetrisy enough for me. I needed a more pure Tetris experience, not one polluted by EDM. <laughs> Blocks not square enough. Zero out of ten. <laughs> they had a bunch of settings you could go and change. Like you could turn the colors back on, and you could you could like change the scale of the board, and you know a bunch of different things. And I still never found it like super satisfying. The same way, just booting up Poyo Poyo Tetris is and just like playing around on the Tetris topic. Uh, did you ever, either of you ever play Tetris DS? Because that's a kind of a dark horse Tetris wow. that a lot of people forget yeah. about, but it did some really, yeah, it did some real, it was a weird one because it was developed by Nintendo you know that the Tetris company just kind of sits there and says, "Okay, we like you. You can make a Tetris game." Or in the case of, <laughs> or in the case of Tetris the Grandmaster, they go, "Your game's better than ours. We're taking your license away. You can't make Tetris anymore." Um, but with Nintendo, they just made this Tetris game that was kind of like NES 8-bit themed, and there were all these different game modes with weird modifiers, like gravity modifiers and scoring right. and line modifiers, and I thought that was really, really creative, and I was surprised that more of the stuff that was introduced in that didn't make its way into Tetris Effect, from what I could see. It's it's interesting that you call it a dark horse, because from what I've heard of it, it's it's usually what people recommend to me as the definitive Tetris. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad people haven't forgotten about it. 
So <laughs> wait, you haven't played Tetris DS, Scott? No, I haven't. Has anyone ever explained to you Tetris DS's Metroid mode? No. Oh, I forgot about the Metroid mode. You you tell it. My memory's foggy. Metroid mode, you don't have like the the Tetris blocks fall from the top to the bottom. Yeah. But they don't have anything to land on. There's no floor. Okay. The only thing is a block that you control in the middle of the screen. And you rotate that block that grows as Tetris pieces attach to it. Ah, that's cool. And once the Tetris like lines reach a certain threshold, like there's eight across in a line, it'll uh, fall depending on which orientation it's in. And so it it's bizarre looking, but it's so cool. That does it just gets cool. your like brain going into weird places, weird ways to think about Tetris as a game. And t- to bring it to Tetris effect... That's not a game that plays with that type of Tetris. It doesn't play with like the the ludic right. elements of Tetris. It plays with the mood. Mm-hmm. And so it puts you into like performative spaces where there's really quiet moments and really loud moments and tries to like design a, a space where your emotions can change during a game of Tetris, which does not necessarily make sense depending on how you play Tetris, but for a lot of folks, uh, especially me, it was like, wow, this is amazing that I can like go to these many different types of spaces and feel these kinds of ways while playing a simple game of Tetris. And once I finished those, I gave it to a friend because <laughs> I played it, like it's like a story mode where it's like once I played, I was like, oh, yeah. In the quiet moments, I feel very pensive and meditative and like in a space. And then during the loud moments, I'm like, yeah, 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 line, 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 <laughs> line piece, line piece, let's go, T spin, let's go. And it was like, yeah, that was nice, but also I can just play Tetris. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm watching a Game Informer video of it. Catch mode. Catch mode. Catch mode. Okay. This is cool as hell. Uh-huh. I love the the just like background art conceit of, oh, here's Samus just scrolling by, <laughs> just hanging out while you're enjoying your Tetris. Oh, so you like get a Tetris clear when you actually fill out the box that's in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Okay, I need to stop watching this. It's fascinating, right? It's cool it's, as hell. That's such a unique idea for Tetris. <laughs> I, I think a lot about Tetris because I have a weird take that I don't necessarily think I should say. I don't Experimental take. Yeah, sure. I don't think Tetris is that good of a game. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I've played it a lot and I have a lot of feelings about it. Usually it kind of amounts to the the like goal of tetris never really lining up with the timing aspect of tetris mm. where like the need the need to like clean up and line up things doesn't necessarily make sense with how when you're playing at a higher level it forces you to really get in the zone of you need to go as fast as possible but that's not necessarily the most fun the game is you get what right. i mean right and that's why I enjoyed Tetris the Grand Masters so much, because they saw that kind of dichotomy and they were just like, fuck it, we're turning it up to 11. And they kind of like, they wholeheartedly embraced that with all of the game systems. And that's why it's right. really my favorite version. I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad, like, I don't think that's bad. And I don't think that's like bad design. I just, it just doesn't feel super fun right and, th- and that's not what everybody comes to a puzzle game for so it's totally understandable Te- tetris is really weird I'll, I'll need to like 
get I'll need to like get my thoughts together and maybe try and write a 40 page essay on it open up that medium this hearing you talk about the flow of Tetris is kind of bringing me to the flow of Crossneak because it's really specially curated <laughs> uh well you 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 choose out how big you want your grid it could be six blocks wide to 16 blocks wide if you're if you're just out your damn mind that day uh so but any any time, regardless of how big your grid is, um, it starts with everything being like you're going to click and drag or you're going to move the blocks in places that are going to make crosses that line up. They're going to disappear. And then you've got more blocks to play with to do it again and over and over and over this nice, clean little loop. After a couple of crosses, it starts adding in locked pieces that can't be moved across the screen as easily. And uh columns or rows that can't be moved at all and you have to you have to kind of like move around these elements as they increase over time the timer also gets faster and so my question is how do you uh, organize all of these things what are you what are you expecting from players as the game gets uh, harder and harder and how does that factor into how long you want like a play session to be um really the design was a lot less i don't know there was a lot less grand scheme, long-term, big picture thinking <laughs> about it, and really more of trial and error. Uh, I, I figured out, believe mm-hmm. it or not, the core game loop of Endless Mode has, I mean, you've probably noticed this, has changed very, very little from Vanilla Crossneak to Crossneak Plus. And that's because I had the time when I was focusing just on one mode to make little tweaks here and there. Uh, the way that the actual, like, uh, the, the spawn rate of hazard tiles, like locks and frozen tiles, are um, actually represented in the game is through a curve from zero to one. Um, and it's just a, a graphical curve. Um, you can do that in Unity. And so I was able to really just visualize the actual momentum and, like, flow of each individual kind of tile uh, through a curve, and that let me make a lot of fine adjustments uh, in in a really organic way. And as far as how I want the player to feel, I, I tried to stick pretty closely to um, you know puzzle game mechanics. Game go on longer, game get faster, game get harder. But I <laughs> wanted to have all of those interlocking pieces together to make the ramp up feel a little bit more organic and to have the curve be a lot uh, smoother and less noticeable in order to not break people from staying in the zone because I knew that staying in the zone was what I wanted the player to do the most and I think I did pretty all right in that. Yeah, I I like the way that progresses. I know eventually I get to a point where there's just too much on the field and I just get stressed out and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I, I just, my meditative sense of here's where everything is supposed to perfectly slot together, starts falling apart because I, I keep sort of forgetting the rules of what this tile does and what this tile does. And then eventually it just like all comes crumbling down. And that's just something you get better at the more you play. Right. And I never feel like though that getting into that level of difficulty is ever is ever unnatural. I feel like it's a little unnatural in Tetris because speed ups are pretty pretty set yeah they're and they're they're dramatic at times yes mm-hmm. <laughs> so what i'm saying is crossing is better than tetris but damn you heard it here first i didn't say it <laughs> uh but yeah I, it, it never felt like unnatural getting to that point of difficulty there it, there's definitely an aspect of 
fuck, I'm stressed out because of this. Not in a bad way. I play Dark Souls. I play games to get stressed out. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, you get creatively challenged. And it was it was very clear, like, it was like, the first couple times I played, I'd hit level five and be like, I did pretty good. I'm, I'm really happy with how I did. Mm-hmm. And then I'd hit, like, level seven. And I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of sweating. This is cool. I'm making it <laughs> this far. And, like, the last time I played it uh, before we did the interview today is uh, I got to level nine, and I was like, wow. Nice. I've come a long ways. And... It just felt like uh, I was getting better at this game. Um, And I'm wondering how far I can go at this point, because I'm like, (laughs) most of these tiles are getting locked up. Most of these tiles are getting hard to move. And I'm like, I got to get more creative about my approach to making lines and columns with the same colors in them, because, yeah, no, I'm I'm getting challenged in cool ways that it gets stressful and uh, not in a not in a way that I don't feel like isn't productive or isn't like something that I want, right? It just feels good. Yeah. Well, I I do have one little uh, piece of trivia about the game that might, I don't know, intimidate you or make you feel belittled. And I apologize if it does, (laughs) Um, is that the way the scoring works is that all of your, like your base cross, like the score for one cross without any bonuses whatsoever at level one is 100 times your grid dimension. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> so as you make your grid bigger, you actually get more points per cross than you would in a smaller grid. And so when you master level nine on six by six, you can play a better game on seven by seven, even if you didn't get to level nine than you ever could on six by six, because <laughs> you get more points oh. per cross as your very base amount. And then you can go to eight by eight and nine by nine and 10 by 10. And so there's really theoretically this enormous skill ceiling that I'm really, I mean, that's not something that I can exactly test in development. I'm one person working right. on a puzzle game, so I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I crafted that with the idea that there's going to be this really high skill ceiling that comes from, you know, I mastered level nine and six by six time to move the grid up by one. And for people to that's do that. That's exactly what I did. Uh, yeah. I played a seven by seven game and I felt like I'd hit a higher skill ceiling than I did the, when I was in six by six, getting stuck at like level seven, level and then, eight. And then mm-hmm. at level nine, oh, wow. just because of the grid size, uh, it goes to four colors instead of three. And so that adds a whole new <laughs> hurdle. So I, I don't know if I totally want to get into like the really granular parts of the math, but there's so sh- when you go up in the size and it hits like four colors, it has to. Yeah. Because if there were th- only three colors and your grid was that big, you just constantly have crosses exploding like it was some kind of uh, some kind of like Apple mobile game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like a match three. <laughs> like a match three. Like a bejeweled. And that's not how this game works. That's right. not the idea of this game. <sighs> to get into like the, the granular math of it. um, Every time I, I've been trying to do this and I can't figure it out for the life of me, but I want to make the entire screen two colors hmm. and I want to make a triple line match. But at a six grid, at least, I haven't been able to do it because there's just not enough pieces on the board and, uh, and in certain colors. And that's the trade-off is that both um, mm-hmm. both speed bonuses from, you know, making fast crosses and multi-cross bonuses for like clearing two or three or four, quad, you know, quadruple crosses, which I actually have seen once at a very what, high level. What, you can? What? Yeah, you can because the ratio of the ratio of tiles regardless of the size of the grid remains the same that's all balanced via algorithm oh, so that it's it. supposed to be you know relatively even 
Um, that's actually not in vanilla cross snake. So in vanilla cross snake, it's all screwed up because I didn't have an algorithm. <laughs> um, but in, in cross snake plus it's set that way. And the reason why I have um, the cross bonuses in there, the multi cross is that so on a 16 by 16 grid, of course you can't make crosses as quickly as you can on a six by six. That's just not possible. So you have to actually shift your strategy to think more towards lining up multi crosses. So that's really something that you can explore mechanically more at a larger grid size. Oh, oh, that, that had completely answered my question and all further follow-up questions that I had. Uh, that was very succinct. Uh, let's, let's move to a different topic then. Um, I'm very interested in the aesthetic of the game you've talked about it as very y2k influenced yes. i i, I want to know like how that kind of aesthetic was originally conceived oh originally conceived or like you know classified in the modern sense of oh this is y2k <laughs> is that what you is that what you mean how, how you originally came up with it and then like how you sort of refined it in development oh sure um so believe it or not um, back to college when I was playing TGM constantly, mm -hmm. the mechanics, the core mechanics for Cross Sneak Plus actually came to me in a like half asleep dream. <laughs> I was playing, you know, I was playing puzzle games, and then I dreamed of a game where you could wrap the pieces around to the other side of the grid, and I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world, and then I, you know, I woke up and I kind of wrote it down, but, you know, I was a student, I was in the middle of my capstone project, I was going to work on this, you know, ill-fated uh, narrative visual novel plus game, so I didn't have any time for it, so I kind of just put that uh, concept on the back burner uh, for a long, long time. And the aesthetic element of it, I really kind of figured out afterwards. Um, it all started, uh, I guess, my personal experience with Y2K um, was back in, you know, 2013, 2014, when it was really popular. I was really into Vaporwave, as you were wont to do sure. in that time period. <laughs> of course. Um, and, and, you know, everybody's exploration and kind of, interesting reappropriation and recent you know new synthesis of all of those aesthetic elements from that period of time that vaporwave is kind of channeling you know the late 80s early 90s um, mm -hmm. really got me thinking about approaching all sorts of other memories or artifacts of design from you know the 90s and before that i personally had experienced either you know physically with an object i owned or just a memory of like a commercial or uh, a billboard or something like that that made an impression on me visually and thinking about it in terms of what people did with vaporwave i just kind of started to explore that on my own and i remember making a facebook post like in 2014 like or no even earlier like 2013 like man vaporwave is cool but when are people gonna do you know after vaporwave you know with like <laughs> ever everything was chrome and there were macbooks like what, what was that called what would you call that <laughs> um and i found my answer many years later when i encountered the y2k aesthetic institute tumblr interesting which was kind of the page where this whole modern sort of boutique y2k uh retro futurist um revisiting uh blossomed from and that's run by two people uh froyo tom and evan collins uh very cool people who um just set up this tumblr and started to share all of these images that they found uh that had this common thread of design and i got i wasn't a founding member of that by any means but i right. i got involved with that uh like almost three years i think th over three years ago now and so that inter interacting with that group and getting to know the people and eventually they made me a moderator because I was so active and I still am to this day. 
um, got me thinking about, I don't know, how we revisit aesthetic on the internet where in- images and video are just a click away and are all swimming around in this contextless void and how you could really do that with so much. And sure enough, after Y2K came this really popular group called Factory Pomo, which, you know, postmodern, mm. like mm-hmm. um, gr- grit or uh, gears, um, kind of post-industrial imagery that you would find in like an old techno music video or like things like that. I made a game jam game based on factory Pomo actually called big noise. That was my Ooh. really my first foray into using the Photoshop pen tool. Cause I knew I would need it for cross Plus. plus. Um, but that emerged. Um, there's one that has become to called Mick bling that has emerged. That's kind of like the, <laughs> the pimp my ride um, sort of uh, like uh, I guess Jersey Shore sort of influenced visual style that emerged from like <laughs> Spike TV um, and MTV in the mid 2000s. Um, and so all of these different aesthetic classifications have kind of just started cropping up because people are starting to apply that to all sorts of different kinds of design. And it's really interesting to see that happen because it's a format that people really take naturally to. And it's helping people remember and, I don't know, put a name to these looks and vibes that they really enjoyed, but they didn't really have the words to describe. And so back to my experience. Sorry, I kind of went on a tangent there, but I, I think it's important. No, this is interesting. Yeah, I think that's important, actually, to describe, because I think that that's one of the reasons why people have really liked the look of Crossneak Plus. I decided to do a Y2K mm-hmm. aesthetic game with Crossneak Plus because... Um, I just I, I, I have a fondness for games in the era, but B, that was really, when you think about it, kind of a golden era for arcade puzzle games like Magical Drop 3, uh, Puzzle Fighter, Mr. Driller, um, B- Bust a Move, uh, or Super Bust a Move 2. Um, Monkey all Ball. Of these, yeah, Monkey Ball, that's a good one. Um, so all of these puzzle games were really happening at that point in time, and they now that you could do 3D or high-res 2D graphics, they were starting to get really stylized. And so I figured I could pay homage to that era with this game, and that it would be a good fit. And so that's when I paired up that old set of mechanics with the Y2K aesthetic, and kind of just went from there, stumbling my way through it with the original Vanilla Crossneak, which looks similar, but I, I think notably different than Plus. Um, the tiles are still there, but there's a lot more um, gray and white than there is in Plus. Um, but I think that that Y2K um, aesthetic being core to the game is kind of making people re-remember all of these really vivid visual things that they just right. kind of subconsciously absorb because it's a consumer, you know, they, they call it consumer aesthetics, you know, for consumer products or commercials or television. That's what you're meant to do. You're meant to uh, absorb it subconsciously and kind of just, you know, experience it in a passive way with things like billboards and even commercials. And so people remember all these things, but they don't remember that they remember them until they see them right. again. And then they all start flooding back. And I think that's been a big part of why people have been interested in the game, or at least that the reason why they've put their eyes on it in the first place. And it's such a follow-up to Vaporwave aesthetic where it <laughs> feels like you've never seen it before, but you've always been in that space. Right. Uh, the Y2K aesthetic, how I kind of interpret it is uh, heavy vector graphics, I- iconography. Yeah, vector graphics are really a big part of it. There's one particular design uh, house called the designers republic founded by ian anderson in the early 90s you might know wipeout 
as being a game that Designers Republic worked on. They really helped craft the unique look and feel of Wipeout. And you're right, Wipeout is famous for the visual design that's really chaotic, but it's made up of clean, crisp, and sharp forms that are done with vectors. Uh, so that's a thing that a lot of people, especially in the video game space, really associate with Y2K. I just got finished playing Final Fantasy X from 2001, mm-hmm. which is full of... I, I've got the uh, Ultimania like art book guide in my <laughs> hands right now, and I'm just flicking through, and they've got the uh, everything from every summon has a sigil that it comes out of that's just full vector graphics, Y2K stuff. Uh, this oh, is I'd a, love to see this. It's a world-building game that has its own scripts and languages. There is uh, multiple languages in Final Fantasy X that each have their own scripts that show up throughout the game. And you're, so you're supposed to identify with uh, glyphs on which like worlds you're in, if you're in Albed or if you're in Spira or if you're in like this place or that place. And so they're supposed to feel really lived in. And the thing that draws it all together is Blitzball, which <laughs> the Blitzball minigame is entirely built out of Y2K iconography and aesthetic stuff. Yeah. Down to every team having their own emblem. Mm-hmm. I actually, I think I have in one of the Crossneak Plus lookbooks, uh, I have a bunch of Blitzball emblems. <laughs> they're they're wow. gorgeous. Yeah, they are beautiful. They look like everything and nothing at all at the same time. They look alien, but also like, oh yeah, I love that team. That's my home team. Yeah, Final Fantasy VIII. Um, which was, I think, Nomura's first Final Fantasy where he got to run wild with the art direction. Yep. Uh, has a lot of that in it as well. I, I, that was exactly why I was going to bring that up is because uh, Final Fantasy VIII and Final Fantasy X, Nomura's like, big productions, ends up bleeding out into the rest of Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts. And like we would mm-hmm. not have a lot of the uh, aesthetic deci- design decisions that we have today without that. Mm-hmm. And so it's really nice to come back to where that all came from. We were talking about uh, the world ends with you oh, as well. Another Nomura I was just about to mention. thing. <laughs> uh-huh. And that ties back kind of like Jet Set Radio, which another Y2K icon. Hell yeah. I think one of the reasons people have kind of latched on to the aesthetic of this game, and especially like the aesthetics of early 2000s, like Y2K, uh, Y2K-ish aesthetic games is because it feels like there's uh, there's a sincerity to it. Like, with a lot of Vaporwave-inspired games, stuff like um, like Hypnospace Outlaw or, like, Broken Realities mm-hmm. are, like, kind of deeply ironic games. They, they use the Vaporwave aesthetic, but they try to use it as a bit of a platform to just, like, be funny off of, when I don't think people are... People kind of are attracted a little bit more to sincerity. And I think that's what works with Crossney. Yeah, there, there's an idea of Vaporwave that it feels impossible to inhabit. Yes. It specifically mm-hmm. distances itself away from being livable at right. all, mm-hmm. which is very big mood right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Vaporwave as a musical like art form is very relaxing. Mm-hmm. Like it is very comforting because it's like it's appropriating this kind of music that you would be so used to uh, just living in just living in the 90s or living in the early 2000s and trying to turn it into something different and then unique. Um, and, you know, seeing people grab that aesthetic and then go in a direction that is just deeply tongue in cheek is like, you know, it, it, it works sometimes for what it is, but other times it's like it can be very jarring. And I think some people maybe just don't have that in them anymore. Yeah, it's there's mm-hmm. probably I, I think a fatigue um, in that regard. Yeah. You're probably right. 
especially because vaporwave's been it's been kicking for quite some time it really kicked off in like 2011 2012 and so it's kind of a lot of people thought vaporwave quote-unquote died the moment that it became self-referential. Sure. Although one, one, one could argue that Vaporwave never lived to begin with. It was kind of a, a, a necrotic <laughs> re-embodying of that which had passed. It was meant to be a time forgotten from the very conception of Vaporwave. So there's a philosophical bet to be argued there. But I totally agree about the sincerity angle of Y2K. And the thing that I always tell people to look at um, when thinking about that and what it perfectly embodies it is like... Blue by Eiffel 65 or Mm -hmm. Butterfly from DDR by Smile DK. (laughs) If you go and watch those music videos, they look so fucking dweeby. They're all done up in period fashion with absolutely like no regard for restraint. But they're so assured of how cool they are and how excited they are <laughs> that your reaction, which normally would be a revulsion, goes all the way back around to being endeared. And I really, I mean, I wanted to, you know, offer up something, I don't know, impressive visually, but I wanted to capture that. I really wanted to capture that energy because it's something, oh, and um, Scatman John's another one. His story was really inspirational to a lot of people back then, but you know, you, you listen to his music now, and it's kind of campy pop of the era, but there was something that all of that had to it that was really sincere in a way that I think um, reached people. Yeah, if the Scatman can do it, so can you. That's correct. That's exactly <laughs> It's an right. invitation. Yeah, he, he said it better than I ever could in words that I can never pronounce. So you're saying that Crossneak, this the big announcement is that cross sneaks teaming up with crazy frog to absolutely <laughs> um new levels of insincerity to the puzzle genre crazy frog with uh, downloadable dances a la Fortnite. <laughs> oh are you, you should start advertising ringtones <laughs> oh, yes absolutely new cross sneak ringtones text five 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 to cross and pay eight dollars yeah can i get that ring back <laughs> Is there any chance we'll ever see Cross Deke on an iMac G3? Absolutely not. Um, I'm, <laughs> if, if you can make Unity run on an iMac G3, that's great. But I ain't rewriting the game. I another another like... one people have always asked for is the Dreamcast D make. I'm just like, you about to you about to pay for a C programmer for me? Because I I can program C. I'm not gonna do it though. <laughs> I feel I feel like the second you boot up Unity on an iMac G3, it would light on fire. Yeah, it'll it'll just explode. <laughs> uh, it'll combust. Uh, this is this has been a really fun time. Uh, do you have any? Thing you'd like to plug um well there is and i've teased this on the crossneak account but it's really more of a personal project of mine a cool secret project of mine coming very very mm. soon that if you liked all of the y2k aesthetic talk that was in this episode you're really gonna like <laughs> and i'm not gonna say anything more than that hopefully there should be some more info on it this week because i've been working really hard on it i've had a lot of downtime uh from certifying the game to release and so i figured to put that to good use and i'm working on something kind of neat so i hope you all like it that's cool i i asked that so you could advertise crusty plus but well, you yes. actually turned it into something very interesting and cool that now i I am into well yes and then the the crossneak plus is in the thing too it's I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not that you know pious i'm shameless in fact i will promote myself <laughs> at every turn so buy my game it's eight dollars go wishlist it please 
Help me get money. And it's going to be out on October 4th That's on correct. Steam, itch.io, and the Nintendo Switch. Yep. All right. Uh, I've had a lot of fun. Me too. Any any uh, any extra thoughts or trivia uh, about the game that you didn't you haven't quite had a chance to get out of to you know get off your chest that you've been meaning to? Um. Huh. Anything I should reveal? Um. I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope that it's going to be ready in time. There's a patch I pushed. Um, if you download the game and you're one of the first people to get the game, go to the leaderboards. You'll find something there that I think you'll like. Oh, I've, I've seen that. It's nice. Hey, not to, not to toot my own horn, but I am the number six, uh, on time attack right now. Three minutes. Yeah. You so, enjoy yeah. that. Those are getting nuked before the game comes out. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> All right. This has been great. Let's, uh, let's talk again sometime. Absolutely. Hey, wait, I got, I got something I got off my chest about crossing. Oh. How, how the hell do I get money in that game? Cause <laughs> I really need a lot of cash. A, the shop is, uh, I just need everything out of the shop. I want to make sure that that shopkeeper, I want them to be very happy and productive. And I feel bad every time I go into the shop and I'm like, I can't afford, I can't afford anything here. And then, and then I'll go to the museum and they're like, hey, we don't have a lot here, but we're trying our best. And I'm like, please, I, I just want to give you all my money and I don't have any. So how do I get more money? Can I take a loan out? No, every, every minute of the game you play in endless time attack or versus, you earn some money. I get so five, just... I get five coins. I want more than that, though. Yeah, I finished. An, I finished it endless and got thirty, and that was pretty nice. Yeah, so it's it's for every minute. I'm actually thinking of of patching that and making it a little more forgiving. That's something that I kind of fell under my nose in testing. So hang in there. I'll make it a little bit more lenient. On the stream, I tried to uh, just go to time attack and set it to one minute. I was like, how many coins I get from this? And it was like <laughs> the same get amount. And I was like, five coins. <sighs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has been fun. Uh, we'll see you later. Yeah, uh, you know where to find me. Of course. Oh, where is that on Twitter so people can find you? Uh, that is Max Krieger, VG. That is M-A-X-K-R-I-E-G-E-R-V-G to uh, differentiate me from all the other Max Kriegers out there. <laughs> There's a German uh, model named Max Krieger. He's a lot prettier than I am, so I don't want people to get confused. Okay, so that differentiation does help. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll talk to you later. Later. Yeah, no, there's there's no judgment around here. I'm I'm literally coming off of a 48 hour stream of Final Fantasy X, so I have nothing to judge. <laughs> I've been I've been living a someone's best life. Actually, I've been living Sean's best life. He's I fucking I, loves that game. I played Final Fantasy X a bunch when I was younger, and oh bless your heart, I remember yep. so much from that game, and just watching that stream, it really made me realize. How much of that I have completely forgotten. There's just so much. It's dense. Yeah. It's such a dense game. I, I'm really happy I played FF10 when I did so that it can stay there forever <laughs> and live very pleasantly in my memory uh -huh. and I'll never have to touch it again. I, d I don't know about... I mean, so there's a huge speedrunning community around Final Fantasy X and they try to get as many people into it as possible because it's a 10-hour speedrun. Oh, where interesting. you spend like... 30 40 percent of it just watching cutscenes, and so they have i've never seen a speed run like this but they have a um 
a walkthrough of the speed run that you can casually follow and do it in like 10 and a half hours like it's a Lego set. Huh. That's just interesting. Follow the instructions step by step. And it's a beautiful walkthrough, fully illustrated, just like do this, do this, do this. Here's some videos if you want mm-hmm. for further stuff. And they link to it in the uh, PDF. Beautiful. And they just they love this because it's 10 hours, super casual. Half of it's just chilling, watching cutscenes right. and cry a couple times <laughs> at like the three and seven hour mark. And and you have plenty of time to go to the bathroom while you're and, and eat stuff like while you're doing the speed run. It's amazing that people are just like you know what i want to ingest all of final fantasy 10 today (laughs) and they just do that once every three or four months or whatever now is this like a like a pro strat min max set of speed run (laughs) or is it like a like crouch three times then moonwalk through a wall and skip 20 hours of the game speed run oh totally there's no skips or anything you just walk right through it um, it just tells you how to do your sphere grid and do the like min maxing things so that you can kill bosses in maybe three or four turns. Uh, yeah, that's good, clean fun. It's clean. It's surprisingly <laughs> clean. It's interesting because there are so many ways to just break this game. Like, mm-hmm. like I-, I was watching a little bit of a boss fight y'all did where you just you just showed up with Riku and then hit them like eight times in a row for nine 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 damage, and it was like, oh, uh-huh. with the with the you got the mix, yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. And it's like this doesn't seem balanced, but okay. Well, I mean, as much as much grandstanding and posturing people make about their favorite <laughs> Final Fantasy game, let's let's be real, it's not a Final Fantasy game in spirit unless the combat system is super busted Obviously, underneath some yes. layer of veneer <laughs> and polish. I mean, there's ways to beat those fights that you don't involve that, but like sometimes you just gotta style on sin. 